when I came up with Pilot, I don't even know how I did. I just got so excited. And it was everything that I wanted. And I did a bunch of research and I talked to some pilots. Um, and yeah, it just seemed perfect. And then I went and did some test flights and that was super fun. And then I, I kind of made the call from there. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with Lizbeth Chapel, who joins the show today to talk about pursuing a career as an airline pilot. Liz shares about changing her career after she decided that work wasn't offering her what she wanted. Rather than accepting her fate, Liz sat down and came up with a plan, which was to become a pilot. Now Liz takes to the skies on a regular basis and offers us some insight on what that journey looks like and what it's like being in the cockpit. Liz is one of the warmest and most fun people I've met, and I'm really excited to share our chat. Thank you, as always, to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Lizbeth Chapel. how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm really good. Excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I was really excited to have you on because you have a super interesting job, I guess, career. I don't know what word to use. I don't mean to pigeonhole, you know. Oh, no. Yeah, career path, maybe. There we I go. I just switched into it, so it feels, you know, I'm just at the beginning here. <laughs> but yeah, and that is that you are a pilot training to be a commercial airline pilot, yes? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I'm a pilot and I have my commercial rating, which means I can be paid to be a pilot. Um, I just got my certified flight instructor rating and I plan to teach for a while um, because you need 1500 flight hours before you go into the airlines. So that's mm. kind of what I'm working on knocking out right now. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I mean, the answer to this is probably obviously no, since you said you just switched to it. Maybe not. As a child, was this like you're looking up at the clouds and you're like, one day I'll be up there. Is that you? Um, I did always love planes, but I was okay. always really into the arts. So I always thought that that was going to be my career path. Um, but I did think if I ever made it big doing any sort of art, then I would get my private pilot's license. Um, but I definitely didn't think about it as a career until I got older. Mm. And so, so what were you doing prior to this then? I was in film. So I spent eight years out in LA and I made indie films and commercials and um, all sorts of kind of sh mostly short term, short, uh, short content. Mm. Yeah. So very different from flying them. Very, very different. Very different. Although so, I was a producer and I do find there's an element of, um, when you plan cross country flights, you do a lot of preparation you do a lot of like making sure like you have like a really exact plan, but then also you're kind of like ready to switch to another plan. If something happens, there's bad mm. weather or something that pops up. And that element is similar to producing. Obviously not exactly the same, but like the intense planning that I enjoy. Right. That's similar. Still get to do it. Still get to do it. So you have to do a bunch of math or is it all automated at this point? Well, they make you do the math when you're first learning, but truly it's all automated. Right. So <laughs> I have a great um, flight planning app and it, it plans everything out, but I, I still check like the legs and everything just to make sure things look generally right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember when we were a kid, well, I say we, not like we grew up together, but I think we're, we're similar age. Together. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, I just remember learning like all math long form and teachers being like, I mean, it's not like you're going to have a calculator just in your pocket at all times. So you right. have to learn it this way. And it's like, well, actually no, you you're completely wrong. Uh, more it's than a calculator, awesome. in fact, will be in my pocket. So yeah, a whole computer. <laughs> so when you when you decide to come back, then did you move back knowing you were going to be a pilot, or did you move back just because you wanted to get away from that scene and were just looking for a fresh start? Like, how did that unfold? Yeah. So I um I always loved making films. Like, if I could have made a living, if that had worked out, well, not made a living. If I if that lifestyle had been something I enjoyed then I would still be doing it. Like the actual filmmaking part I liked um, quite a bit. So there was a stint where I worked in tech actually doing video stuff. And that was a period where I just spent all day wishing I was doing something else. Mm-hmm. So I made a list of everything I wanted in a career relationship basically. And then I tried to find jobs that like fit all the things that I wanted. And this was the best and most exciting job that fit like everything on my list basically and i was just stoked to do it so i think that's super interesting um offline when you and i were talking once you'd mentioned that that you'd made such a list and so you know i've had a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and i've had um i had one lady who's a a career coach like she works with people on not just like building their resume but how to network and how to do linkedin and really works with them to try and help them land jobs so but, but I've never heard anyone, whether they left the employment force to become entrepreneurs or this lady even, and this is not a disparage her or something, but um, I've just never heard anyone talk about this this list. Where did you get this idea? And to be clear, there's really common things that I don't know about all the time. So maybe it's not that profound. But <laughs> to me, it seems really interesting that you made such a list. Um, I don't know that I pulled it from anywhere. I just... Mm-hmm. I my so going from film into tech was so different and there were things about like the stability that I liked a lot more um as opposed to film but there were things about film that I really loved so I ended up I just had I feel like most people don't have as varied of a career path as I have at this point and those careers were just so different that I really sat down and thought about like what I liked out of each and what I hadn't had in either and I wanted um and then, yeah. And then when you really dislike your job and you want to do anything else, you can just sit there on the computer and make lists. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah. But I just, I think, I, you know, I, and I say this, I, I'm starting to, to generalize for other people. I'll just talk about myself. Like, I've definitely never looked at um, my work as like, you know, wherever I've worked as, I've never framed it as like, what do I want my relationship with that to look like? Right. I mean, yes, indirectly I have certainly because it's like, oh, well, I don't want to work nights or, oh, I want to make X amount or I don't want to do this type of work. So, I mean, some of that is kind of intuitive, I guess, but definitely never intentionally sat down. Was this like a long process or just like a single afternoon you sat down and did this? Like, how did that look? Um, It it wasn't like a single afternoon, but it... um. I probably pondered it for a little while and kind of slowly came up with the list, but it's not like a long list or anything. It's just like mm-hmm. a few things that I really wanted. Right. All to line up. Right. Yeah. I just think it's interesting because I think that, and again, I speak for myself and I know other people as well, but people can feel um, unhappy in a career, but at the same time feel like that's where they're at kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I always think it's so fascinating to hear people talk about ways that they have, 
thought about it differently to then have a different outcome. Like in your case, pursuing something that you, you know, are really excited to go do. Um, so I just think that list idea is really interesting. So was pilot the only job that resulted from the list or were there other things that, that were competing with pilot? Um, nothing seriously competed with pilot. Basically I made the list and I like struggled for a while to figure out if there were any jobs. So I did think about things in the medical field. Um, uh, that was like probably the next field that was closest that I thought about. Um, but then when I came up with pilot, I don't even know how I did. I just got so excited and it was everything that I wanted. And I did a bunch of research and I talked to some pilots. Um, and yeah, it just seemed perfect. And then I went and did some test flights and that was super fun. And then I, I kind of made the call from there. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So like when, did you, did you ever, did you ever think about like, and this would have been probably as a child or something, but like air force, like fighter pilot time, was that ever on the radar? No, I'm, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. No, <laughs> no, I never considered anything in the military and you know, that's just, that's just not me. Right. Yeah. No, that's but, fair. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, but I did want to do, um, so I can, I can tell you what was on my list if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to do something tangible and something that felt, it didn't have to be like change in the world important, but like that I needed to do it. Right. So it was like making all these videos in tech when I left and I just like didn't care about anything that I was doing. I was like running my own department. It was just like nothing I'm doing means anything. It's all just like, just, it's just like all disappearing on the internet, you know? Right. Right. And so I wanted to do ta something tangible that meant something. Um, I wanted to be in charge of my own lane. Like, I don't need to be in charge of an entire company, but like whatever I'm in charge of, I want to like be the person and I want to be right. handling things. Um, and I wanted to make good money and I wanted to feel really proud of what I was doing. Um, I wanted to work longer hours, but less days. Hmm. And so like when I'm at work, I want to be fully engaged doing whatever I'm doing. And then I want to be off and like have no emails not deal with any, I mean, within reason. You sure. Know? Yeah. And then I wanted to travel, but I didn't really know what that meant. Like if I was just going to make a lot of money and have a lot of time off or, or, you know, a reasonable amount. But then when I came up with this, it's like, that's all the benefits. Right. Go everywhere. Yeah. Which I want to do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting though. So like excitement wasn't, or like thrill seeking is not on the list. No, and I think the pilots that want to do that are not good pilots. Um, <laughs> I just learned that I should never be a pilot then because. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it is exciting, but the people that are going out like when, you know, the weather's like super marginal or it's like at our minimums, like that's not that's not a safe way to be a pilot. Like I would much rather be like very safe, everything I'm doing very orderly. And then, you know, you still have a ton of fun when you're flying. Well, and I'm, I'm dorky to be clear when I say thrilling or whatever, like I don't mean, yeah, going out in bad weather, just simply being up in the sky to me is like pretty thrilling. I don't know. Now I haven't flown a ton, so maybe that becomes trivial at some point, but. <laughs> no, I still love it. It's still super exciting every time I walk out to the airplane, like really. And yeah. when you're controlling it, it's even more, even more so, you know, you feel everything in those little planes. Right. Right. Like I. I used to ride a motorcycle when I was like 20 and, uh, and yeah, I, my friends, they would like to go around corners as fast as they could and hug the corner, you know, and their heads like a foot from the ground. Like that's not me. 
now if I can just get like a long, nice, like straight stretch of road and I can go fast on that, like that's fine. But honestly, I, I eventually got to a point where I just even liked just being on the bike, even just going through neighborhoods at like 20 miles an hour. Like the speed yeah. wasn't really, I mean, the speed is, is exciting, but it's kind of just the feeling of being on a bike is just different than anything else. You know what I mean? So I think a plane would have to be similar. I mean, obviously not open air, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so as well. But yeah, you still feel everything. And I mean, it's interesting, like even going up, like I'm, I'm still flying small planes, like it gets colder as you go up and mm. you know, like the wind changes. So you just like get hit by all sorts of different thing, feelings and things. And, and it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. It's I, exciting. I remember reading, this is not really related for some reason, whenever you said it gets colder, this popped into my mind, but I remember reading a, a story about Tom Cruise. I guess he flies planes in like some everything. capacity. He's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And he was telling this story and he's telling it as like, it's like a funny story, but to me, it sounded kind of terrifying, but one of his friends or colleagues or whatever wasn't used to flying. And so they took him up and they went high enough that the, the guy, the passenger like fainted or passed mm. out or whatever on the plane. And then they thought that was, that's the whole story. He thought that was hilarious. They like <laughs> tricked this guy. And it's like, that doesn't seem funny. It seems dangerous. Like, yeah. maybe I'm, you know, Tom Cruise probably knows more than I do about it. So that's fair. Well, I think we're just <laughs> learning more about Tom Cruise's sense of humor than anything else. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be his friend. <laughs> right, right. Well, call him after this and tell him. Okay, what, I'll tell him I've doing. decided not to be his friend. Right. And that, yeah. That'll show him. Yeah, if he wants yeah. to text, fine, but you're, you're over it. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So yeah, so I, you know, so that's something I don't really know a lot about. Like, I know that there's, there's like tiny little planes. Obviously, there's the giant commercial airliners, but then there's probably a lot in between. So, what are the different types of planes that you can fly? And do you have to start with the smallest? Like, how does that work when you get into it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people start with single engine airplanes. Although, I guess technically you wouldn't have to. Um, but yeah, most people start with single engine and then you kind of move up to multi-engine and then you can get type rated in basically anything. So like jets and, and high powered planes. And I mean, there's just like a world. And then there's also, um, things that just require like some extra training and then, a and then approval like seaplanes and, um, and like tail, tail, uh, sorry, tailwheel airplanes and multi-engine airplanes. So there's all sorts of like extra ratings or, or just certificates you can get. So, so when you say single engine, I've heard the word Cessna. Is that what that refers to? Um, there are single engine and multi-engine Cessnas. So that's okay. just a company, but that's okay. a really common, uh, small plane. So that's okay. probably why you've heard of it. So most flight schools in the United States use like Cessna 172s, like Cessna 150s are really small. They're like little two-seater airplanes. And those, I understand like you could like you can kind of glide them down. Is that true across the board or just with certain types? I mean, most small airplanes, you can fly for a little bit just gliding. So we learned that in ours. So I fly, I fly low-wing airplanes. Those are high-wing airplanes. So I fly mostly Piper Archers and Piper Warriors. Um, and uh, yeah, you can glide for a while. Um, so it depends on how high you are. It depends on the winds. But you can get a while. You can, you can glide for a while, which is good because if your engine stops, that's what you have to do. So we actually have a speed in our airplane that's best glide. So if your engine ever goes out, that's the first thing you try to get. You try to get the best glide so that you know you can cruise for the longest amount of time. And then if you you know find a field or a road or somewhere that's good to land in sooner, 
then uh, it's easy to get down. You just can't go back up. I see. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you're you're training towards being a, a commercial airline pilot, but what about like uh, like a you know a lot of corporations have private jets and stuff like that. Would you be interested in that sort of work, or you want to work for like Delta or American or, or something like that? Yeah, I want to work for the airlines. Um, there are great jobs that are corporate. Um, there's, I mean, there's actually great jobs in Springfield. Jack Henry actually has a whole fleet. One of my friends that's a pilot, um, his main gig is flying for Jack Henry, and so he just takes people everywhere, and it's it's a great gig. Um, I don't want to fly corporate for a lot of reasons. One, they don't have like the same travel benefits. And I just want to go everywhere. And so that's like one of my, the biggest things for me. So like you get free, you know, travel on whatever airline you're flying for. Mm. So that's pretty important to me. And, um, but yeah, some of the corporate gigs are great. And some of them you've got to deal with like a lot of rich people who want things right now, no matter what. And so I've heard a lot of horror stories from that. You also usually have to be on call all the time. So it's like, you're not really working, but you have to be ready and be able to get to the airport in 30 minutes or whatever. And I'm just not interested in that. If I'm working, I want to be working. And if not, I want to be off. Right. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. Yeah. You mentioned that there's a ton of planning that goes in. So let's say you've got a, I don't know, we'll just start small, a one hour long flight. How long does it take to plan said flight? Oh, um, it may not take long at all. Okay. Uh, it, it takes longer if you are like dealing with weather conditions or anything that you've got to work around. Um, but you know, if I was to so an hour flight, you know, I can probably get to, I mean, I can get to like Kansas City in an hour for sure. Um, so then... That's, I mean, that's pretty much a straight shot. There's nothing really to get around. So that would be just like, I would look at the airport that I'm landing at, make sure I know all the runway links. I would look at the diagram of the airport and make sure I understand how it's laid out. Um, I would look up when they have, um, like when their tower is operating. So some airports have a tower that operates 24 hours a day. Some of them have a tower that only operates between certain hours. And then after that, it goes to a unicom frequency. And so I would try to figure out, you know, what hours are which and like what I'm coming into basically. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so you get all this information and then you also get weather information and then you'd file a flight plan with the FAA. So that's just to tell authorities, basically I'm planning to go from this point to this point at these times. And then if you're not, if you don't check in, if you don't like cancel your flight plan at that time, they will start calling. And um, you know, the idea is if anything happened to you, they would have a route to look up, look for you. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So it can be pretty fast. Um, so it's not, it's not like a ratio of like for every hour you're going to be in the air, you know, and obviously it would be a rough estimate, but there's like two hours of planning required or something like that. It's more about the complexity of the route or where you're going versus the duration of time that your the flight takes. Yeah, exactly. And if my I was planning a flight during the day and everything looks like beautiful weather, 
then that would be one thing. If I thought like, you know, there's some sketchy weather, like on the Southern end of my route, I may want to look up, look up alternates and have a really good idea of like how to get around that, you know? So it just, it kind of depends on the day and where you're going. Mm. And then if you're planning, if you're planning for like an instrument flight, so if you're planning on a flight you can't see during, it is a little more intense. Um, cause you just want to make sure you have all the information dialed in. And then you're also checking different instruments in your airplane to make sure everything's functional for you to do a flight where you, you know, may not be able to see the whole time. Right. I, so, I mean, so is it, I guess I'd really thought about it, but I mean, when you're, what was it like 30,000 feet or whatever that the airliners fly at? Is that right? Yeah. They, yeah. So they always fly above 18. It's usually like 30 to 35. So, I mean, what are you really looking at? Are you looking like looking for other planes? Like, I mean, yeah, you can see out the window, but I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, as a passenger, I'm not looking out the window for that long, like maybe a little <laughs> bit, but you know. No. So if you, so, I mean, first of all, I don't fly at those heights. I wish, but I don't, right, um, right, but right. no, so, so they would be looking at, so they would look at, there are certain kinds of maps that are high altitude maps. And so they look at those. A lot of times they're flying preferred routes. So they'd be looking at the routes that they're flying. Um, they also, the airliners have dispatchers that literally do all this work for them that will like print out their flight plan. So like they've been given a flight plan and although it is the pilot's responsibility to like approve it, make sure nothing's wrong, they have people that are, that's just what they're doing. Mm. So yeah, so they'd still be looking at the, they'd still be looking at um, the weather. They'd still be looking at those charts, the high altitude charts and preferred routes. They'd still be looking at their destination um, and where they're coming from to see if there's any, um, to see the runway links and everything. And then also if there's any notams. So if like, if there was any warning about something, so like if the lights are malfunctioning, um, at a certain place, then they would let you know that. So you're not like looking for them. And I see. So you'd be looking at stuff like that. I see. <laughs> I mean, it stands to reason that there's something that these people are looking at. I just, you know, <laughs> sure. Sure. No, they just do whatever they want. Yeah. They just look ma no hands kind of thing, you know? Um, so you mentioned the, the, the travel benefits. So with an airliner, cause I guess with like, like you mentioned, like with, with a corporate gig, largely, you know, maybe you travel to somewhere, but you don't really get to stay there. Right. Cause you've got to bring that plane back wherever it's coming from or go pick someone else up or whatever. Or you stay there and then you just have to be ready to fly them back whenever they want. Sure. Sure. But yeah. I guess that's what I meant. Like, whereas with an airliner as a pilot, is it, is it like you fly to a destination and then you turn around or on another flight the next day, or do you get to stay in that location for a while? And how does that look? Yeah. So they're called trips. And a lot of times you'll do like multiple trips in a day. Um, we have a certain amount of hours that we can work legally. And so once mm. you hit that amount of hours, you can't work anymore. Um, so a lot of times they'll, they'll fly you, you know, on a trip, like doing, you know, like up and down the East coast or something. And then you, they'd, they put you up in a hotel that night and then they do another trip with you the next day. So like your whole trip, maybe a few days long. Um, although some, sometimes you can get right back to where you want to be. Um, basically everything with pilots is based on seniority in the airlines. Hmm. So you, you know, when you're at the, when you're at the bottom, then you get the less preferred routes or you just kind of have to take what nobody wants. And as you work up, you can get a line. So like you could get kind of exactly what you want all the time. Yeah. I, I guess, is there really a way to stand out as a better airline pilot? I mean, cause you said it's based on seniority and it, maybe that makes sense because it's like, how do you, how is it like, well, 
you know, Elizabeth is clearly better than this guy who's been here 20 years. So she did, you know what I mean? Like how would, is there a way? Yeah, no. So I've heard, you know, it's, it's based on seniority and that's really good. And it's also really bad because you, you know, you just keep working your way up, which is great, but you can't really like rise above. Um, that being said, there are some ways. So mm. like, so what you do is like when I, when I get to the airlines, so you start at a regional airline. Um, if you've ever been on like a little city hopper airplane, you're probably on a regional airline. You book them under, you know, United or American or Delta the same way. But if you look at your ticket, it will often say DBA doing business as Air Wisconsin or Envoy or whatever the case may be. Right. So you start off at the regional airlines and then you start as a first officer and then you work your way up to captain. And basically you have to have been there a certain amount of time and have a certain amount of hours. And then when they need the next captain, they'll pull you up. But if you haven't gotten your hours yet or something, then they'll go to the next person. So getting in, getting lots of hours is a way that you can move up quickly. And then you're captain there for a while, and then you can get pulled up into the majors. Um, and then for that, there are some there's some affiliates that have flow-throughs. So I think I want to go into American right now because they have a flow-through program. So if I work for one of their affiliates, I would do one interview, one interview, and then I would just flow through to American when they're ready, when they need mm-hmm. another pilot. Um, and then again, you start as first officer and work your way up to captain. Um, but you can sometimes jump ahead of the process. Like if they have a captain position open, you can jump ahead and interview for it instead of just like waiting for your flow through. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it doesn't have to be seniority, just largely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's largely hard to avoid. (laughs) Right. Right. But I have been told they're desperate for any sort of diversity in the airlines. And so I have been told if you're, you know, anything but a straight white male, you'll go to the top of the line. So reason number two, I will not be a pilot. We just learned <laughs> a risk taker, B straight white guy. So mm, yeah, it's probably... <laughs> poor thing. Hey, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um... <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, like what's the most, what's the most surprising thing? Like what, what was something that when you, when, once you started flying regularly that you hadn't expected? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that popped in my head, so you get what's called an instrument rating. And this is so you can, you can fly in conditions where you can't see. So if it's cloudy um, and there's like a cloud layer that covers the ground, you have to have an instrument rating. Or if you're flying in fog or something like that. And the entire time you train for it, you're training to like not see outside. So they make you wear these foggles and they look like they look like bifocals and that they're except they're totally cloudy over most of the eye and then you've got this tiny like bifocal section that you can see out of and so you're only supposed to be looking inside the plane at your instruments the entire time you're flying so that's you spend like a bunch of hours just flying with goggles that you can't see through on which wow. is pretty, pretty funny yeah not like sitting in a chair in a classroom with instruments oh. pr- pretending Actually, no. in the plane with the goggles. Yeah, in the plane with the goggles. Your instructor is with you, and so they don't have goggles on. Like <laughs> well, that's a double blind know. situation. There's only one of you. But um, yeah, you have them on the entire rating. It's hmm. crazy. So I guess I mean, so it sounds like then is the is the, was the the emphasis on instrument reading and just the the more technical aspects of it was that something you anticipated or was that more of a surprise going into this? Um, I definitely expected a technical aspect to it. And I, that's the stuff that I really am good at and I really like. Okay. Um, but yeah, so instrument flying is, first of all, you have to trust your instruments. 
Um, so we spend our whole lives developing, you know, trusting the senses in our body, right? So when we're right side up or when we're falling over and that's all that, you know, we rely on these things all the time. So they can get thrown off in like moments in an airplane. Um, sometimes even when you accelerate and you can't see if you're straight and level, it'll feel like you're tumbling backwards. Wow. So they teach you, you cannot trust your senses. So this, you know, this thing that you've been trusting in your entire life, you can no longer trust it. Um, because people have turned their planes upside down in like minutes by thinking that, you know, they're, they're, they're like trying to correct to straighten level. And when you can't see outside, you've got no point of reference. Um, yeah. So it's really tricky. So you have to be able to trust your instruments. You have to be able to have like a good scan. And, you know, as you're looking across your dashboard and seeing everything and understanding what it means and interpreting. Um, but then also that's like for normal flying. But then when you're coming into an airport, you have to imagine, okay, you're coming into an airport and you can't see. So when you're coming down, this is when you get among, you know, mountains or buildings or trees or, you know, things that can, can hurt you when you can't see and you're flying an airplane. So they have these things called approaches. So they're basically detailed maps that show you exactly where you should be when you cannot see and exactly what altitude you should be at. So every single airport um, has these published approaches and they get updated really regularly. And so you have this published approach and it tells you everything you need to be doing and you've got to be like on the numbers exactly. So a lot of instrument training is just learning how to do those approaches because they're, they can be pretty tough sometimes. Right. Huh. Yeah. It just, it seems, I mean, again, I had, it's not like I had really spent a lot of time thinking about it, I guess, but um, I don't know. I guess I just didn't, I hadn't thought of it. It sounds like being a pilot is a lot of like um, analysis constantly of these instruments and yeah, like a lot more slow, thoughtful process than I would think for you're driving a thing that goes 500 miles an hour or whatever. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, sometimes it's a very fast, thoughtful process. Okay. (laughs) Because it needs to be. Right. Yeah. So you were saying, and is this true on all, is this true across the board or just on the larger planes that there's like, like two sets of controls for the plane. So that way, if something happens to one pilot, the other one can take over. Is that always the case or is that just in the larger planes? No, that's almost always the case. Um, there's probably like experimental airplanes and some other really little airplanes that aren't built like that. But for the most part, they're built with two controls. Mm. And so do you think that you, once you become a commercial airliner, would you also like to have access to a little private plane to fly yourself around? Oh, to like yeah. To like go to Kansas City? Yeah, that'd be super fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would love that. And they can you can rent them too. So you can own them or rent them. Um, so there are way, different ways to, to approach that. Right. But yeah, flying small planes is, is just great fun. So when I was a kid, I worked at um, the hospital in the cafeteria. And I would always see the helicopter pilots that worked at the hospital come in. And they always looked super cool in their like cool helicopter pilot outfits. And mm-hmm. and it's it's combined with medical staff. So they have like cool medical like scissors and stuff yeah. also yeah. on their, their little suits. And the epaulets and things on their shoulders. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So did you ever think about, did you ever consider helicopter flying at all? Or is that something that interests you now at all? I briefly looked into it. I didn't really have any interest. And then when I looked into it, I had less interest. Um, So it's a lot easier to crash those. It's a lot easier to get into some trouble. And then also they just didn't have the things that I really wanted anyway, like all the traveling and. Right. There's not really giant 
companies for helicopter travel and the way that there is planes. Right, right. But, you know, I talked to a helicopter pilot once and they were like, well, I hate fixed wing because you have to have so much space to take off and land. And, yeah, you know, I can land anywhere and I can go in any direction. And so he, you know, had a totally different idea than I had. Right, right. Yeah, I've always been super fascinated by by flying. Uh, I mean, I don't know when it started. Probably when I was a little kid and saw Top Gun is probably <laughs> the, <Yes. laughs> the cheesy reality of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Growing up, yeah, playing video games with, with stuff like that in it and just, I don't know, just always thought being a pilot would be the coolest thing. And, and even like when I talked about earlier about like riding a motorcycle, like sitting on a commercial airliner even, which is not an exciting experience largely, that takeoff... Like there's a, a moment in the takeoff where you kind of get pulled back. And that reminded me of being on a bike kind of like there's that, I guess it's just the G force or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, I do too. Yeah. It's a huge amount of momentum and just power. And um, definitely when I first started flying, taking off was just the most, the coolest thing. Right. Literally, you, you know, you're, you make sure you're going straight down the, straight down the runway, which is actually not as easy as you think. Cause your plane wants to pull into the left. Oh, because your propeller spins to the right. So there's several different forces. So your plane really wants to go to the left. So you've got to counteract that. Huh. Um, yeah. But then uh, so when you pull back, you know, you're at a certain speed and you pull back and then you just are flying. It's like the coolest thing. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. So, you know, you made this list and decided that pilot was it. Did that, has it, has it so far, has it been what you had hoped? Has it met your expectations? Is there anything about it that has been different than what you had hoped? Yeah. Um, yeah, so far. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of just coming out of the training stage, um, which, you know, training for me is interesting. I really hate being bad at things. And, you know, when you're learning a whole new career, mm-hmm. you're inevitably not good at everything when you start. So that's been, you know, kind of brutal to work through. And then also just changing careers at my age is, is kind of a kind of a mental um just a lot to get through sometimes. So like mm. that, I didn't expect to be quite as hard, but the actual flying I love. Um, that's super fun. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Well, Elizabeth, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your thoughts about this. Like I said, I just thought it was super fascinating that you have this career and that you made that change in your life. And uh, it's just a, you're a very humble person, but it's a, it's a rare thing that you've done. Um, and despite the challenges, it's just really cool. Uh, yeah, just really cool to hear about it. So, uh, anything else you wanted to touch on though, or anything I didn't ask? I don't, I don't mean to cut it short here. Oh no. Um, no, it's been so fun. So fun being on. Thanks for asking me. I had, um, this has just been a blast. Okay, cool. Well, Lizbeth, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Flash of heat lightning in the storm within my reach. The high tide is coming in, breaking waves across the shore. Dark thunder is a billowing. Your love is the ocean's roar. 
ship that I need to cross the seven seas help me reach the angry swells and down the rivers that you need and the water that fills your well and the hand you hold through tragedy
Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Liz for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other show, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters. My other show is the Crowfall podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of those are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.